morning, Adam. Good morning. Good to be with you. Kia ora koutou katoa. What a privilege to bring the word this morning. Are you ready to hear the word? Awesome. And for the rest of you, I hope you're ready to hear the word too. Let's just pray a quick prayer. Lord, we ask your blessing on uh, the students, Lord, who are gathering for the last bit of student camp right now. Lord, we ask that uh, there is no person who leaves that place without an encounter with you, without some kind of breakthrough and joy and truth and love and power. Lord, meet with each one of those in the student camp right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Cool stuff. Well, well, well. The people of Israel uh, were wandering around uh, the wilderness for 40 years. God had led them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and Moses was leading them. God was leading Moses, leading the people, and they ended up wandering around the desert for about 40 years, which is not particularly fun. And then uh, they get to the point where Moses dies, Joshua uh, succeeds him as the new leader of the people, and they get to the border of the promised land. They get to the River Jordan, which is the border, and they're, they're getting ready to cross into the promised land. They're getting ready to step into the promises and the inheritance that God had for them uh, and had promised them hundreds of years before, and it was about to become a reality. And so with that in mind, we join uh, Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, for some of you, you do need to realize there is such a thing as early in the morning. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. Isn't it fascinating that it's biblical to say the word Shittim? So they set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. And the Hebrew word for crossing over is aver. And I may not be pronouncing it quite right. I am of Jewish heritage, but that doesn't mean I speak Hebrew. Uh, but nonetheless, the Hebrew word there is aver, crossing over. We'll come to that word later. After three days, the officers went, the same word, aver, throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. And again, that word aver is used. So Joshua and the people of Israel had no idea what life would be like on the other side of the River Jordan. They had no idea what life would be like not wandering through the desert for 40 years. A whole generation experienced that. They had no idea what it would be like to actually grow food for themselves rather than depend on manna from heaven, which they had for the last 40 years. They had no idea what life would be like on the other side. They had never been that way before. How does God guide you? when you have never been that way before. There's different kinds of preaching, and this series is an autobiographical series to some degree. And so in this testimonial series, I'm part two. Gabe kicked things off last week. Uh, but in this series is that you, Lord, each preacher is going to be sharing a little bit of their own story and what God's done in them in the last uh, year or so, and how we ended up discerning God's will in that process. And so as instructed, I'll be sharing a bit more about myself than I normally would. And I'm wanting to tie that to the person of Joshua. So in terms of uh, things God's been doing in me, there's been one rather big and obvious change in my life in the last little while, and that is this. England, <laughs> they got to the final of the European Championships. I think we have it on the screen there. We've got the amazing Raheem Sterling, the best football player in the world, Harry Kane, and of course, Gareth Southgate, who did an amazing job as coach. You have to realize, 
For an Englishman who loves football, this is the first time in my life that the England football team reached any significant final ever. It's the first time since 1966. This is a significant moment, and it has changed my life, and I'll be forever grateful to Gareth Southgate as a result. And so praise the Lord for Harry Kane and Gareth Southgate. And hey, we nearly won it. We nearly won it. The other change in my life is about 10 months ago, I felt the Lord tell me to step aside from my role as senior pastor. And uh, then um, about four months ago, that is what happened. Uh, but he, as he told me what to step out of, he didn't tell me what to step into. Uh, and so God is leading me in a way that I have never been before. I, don't know what, I didn't know what life would be like on the other side. And just over four months ago, that's what I did and stepped aside from my role. And so today I want to share a little bit about how God has guided me in the process in the hope that it may be of some assistance to you in terms of how God guides you in some of the big decisions that you're making. Does that sound okay? Okay, so unfortunately we're not going to talk about the England football team all morning, though that would be a lovely thought. And I hope I'm getting sympathy here. You know, like all black supporters, you're used to winning stuff. Most of the world is not used to that. It's such a privilege, such a blessing. I think the word privilege means blessing. So how do you discern God's will for your life? How do you discern God's leading in life's big decisions? Whether to marry, because God calls some people to singleness and some people to marriage. One is not holier than the other. But whichever one God calls you to, and if to marry, who to marry, whether to buy a house, which house, moving cities maybe, moving countries perhaps, uh, which, which course of study, which vocation does he call you into, which job to accept or reject. Uh, th- these are many of the big questions that we put to the Lord. And often we put them to the Lord in kind of binary terms, yes or no. That's often the way that we put things to the Lord. But it's my conviction that many of our choices, even big choices, Um, The yes or no question is not the best question to ask. I think a better question to ask is this. Who am I? Who are you? That is a more important question, in my opinion, most of the time, than a yes or no question. Who has God called you to be? Who has God called me to be? Because if you know that, then you have clarity over the big decisions that you need to make. About three years ago, uh, the light bulb came on for me, through reading a little book uh, by an author called Parker Palmer, and the book is called Let Your Life Speak. Um, I should warn you that every person, author, theologian, whoever, that, that a preacher quotes, they won't have all their theology perfect. Unless you're quoting Jesus, you're quoting someone who gets things wrong sometimes, this person is no exception. So always have your filters set on theologically when reading anybody except Jesus, because he's always right and nobody else is right all the time. Nonetheless, I found some insights from this book very helpful, and they've helped me discern God in the last few years. And so I want to share some of the insights that I've learned from this book and in my own life with you. So I hope that's okay. Also, what I'm going to be sharing this morning, it's going to be, there's going to be a few different segments to it. Grab the one that really jumps out to you. Don't worry about the rest, okay? That's on you. I'll, I'll, I'll lay out the, 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 the meal, but your job is to actually partake of the course that you really enjoy. And so it's a two-part thing there. And of course, it's all about food. So Parker Palmer, he uses this word vocation, and vocation, he means who has God made you to be and what has God made you to do? So your vocation is who God has made you to be and what he has made you to do. He says this, vocation, who God calls me to be, what he calls me to do, is not a goal to be achieved, it is a gift to be received. Discovering vocation, who God has called me to be, 
does not mean scrambling towards some prize just beyond my reach, but accepting the treasure of true self I already possess. Vocation does not come from a voice out there calling me to become something I am not. It comes from a voice in here calling me to be the person I was born to be to fulfill the original selfhood given me at birth by God. Therefore, the deepest vocational question is not what ought I to do with my life? Yes, no questions posed to the Lord. It is the more elemental and demanding, who am I? What is my nature? Who has God made me to be? Someone I know came to Otago to do her study. She got onto a particularly difficult uh, course of study that many people try to get onto and many do not succeed because it's so competitive. She got on. She went through the course of study, lasted for years, and then she ended up finishing the course of study and starting the profession that that course of study leads into. And so after these years and years and years of study, finally gets into the profession, starts operating and living in that profession, it dawns on her, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. Raises the question, well, why did you do it? <laughs> Parental expectation, in her case. She felt that her parents wanted her to do it, so that's what she did. She ended up quitting the job because it wasn't who God had made her to be. She was living a life that was other than her own. She was living contrary to her nature. It left her frustrated, discontented, and lacking in fruitfulness. And I think it's possible to live according to other people's expectations of your life. It's possible to live according to your expectations of your life. But the problem with that is all kinds of things can affect your own expectations of your life that aren't necessarily true. I think the more important thing is to live according to his expectations of your life because he's the one you're accountable to and nobody else. Parents, I'm sorry if I've touched a sacred cow. Uh, if it is a sacred cow for you, it's called idolatry. Uh, God comes first and thank you for loving me and forgiving me. So discerning God's guidance at the deepest level is about your hard wiring, your passions, your gifts, your abilities. Who has God made you to be? I love Søren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian from the 19th century. He said, now with God's help, I shall become myself. So how, and, and this is not about introspection. This is not about narcissism. It's about recognizing there is a true self. We don't be obsessed with that, but we don't ignore it either. So how has God designed you? How has God designed me? What are the unique aspects of God's craftsmanship of your person? What are the unique aspects of God's craftsmanship of your person? I had been a senior pastor for about seven years here in this church in response to God calling me to do that. And during that time, we implemented some really cool stuff and we were going on adventures with the Lord and trying out new things and there was a sense of God's blessing and it was quite exciting and lots of cool stuff was going on. A lot of challenges for sure, but a lot of cool stuff going on. And, and I know I've said this before, but I want to say it again. Being your leader for a decade was an enormous privilege, and I am very, very, very grateful to the Lord that he called me to that for that period of time. So thank you for following me, because it's no small thing. So during my, uh, well, all of my 10 years, but particularly the first seven years I'm focusing on now, I was seeking on loving God with all my heart. I was seeking to live a, a surrendered life. I was seeking to grow in obedience to him. Given that, what I've just said, Psalm 37 verse 4 is relevant some of you know it by heart. The ones who don't, it's worth memorizing. It's a goodie. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. 
That doesn't mean, yes, I'm going to get a Ferrari. You missed the first bit of the verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. That comes first. Then he will give you the desires of your heart. Someone I know right now, someone I know of, I should say, is partway through a degree. And they, their heart posture is literally, Lord, I'll do anything for you. Anything you want me to do, I'll do for you. You told me to go here, I'll do it. You told me to train in that, I'll do that. And their heart posture is literally, whatever you want, Lord, I'll do it. For someone in that position, I want to say a couple of things who's got that heart posture of total surrender. I want to say, excellent start. It's a great start. It's necessary, and it's not enough. That's what I call level one. Level one is starting from a place of absolute surrender, and you never graduate from that. But I think on top of level one, you build level two, and I want to get to level two. So level one, a posture of absolute surrender. I've tried to live that the last 10 years to greater or lesser success, as I'm sure many of us have. And in that context, I found Parker Palmer's book helpful because it helped me with level two, which is who has God made me to be? Given level one, I'm living in a place of surrender and I want to remain in that place forever. So he said a couple of things in his book that helped kind of discern who has God made me to be. And and here are the two things. The first one, he quotes author Frederick Buchner. You notice that for teacher-wired people like me, God speaks to us through books. Uh, That's okay. God speaks to you in different ways, perhaps. Maybe God speaks to you through nature or music or other things. Awesome. For folks wired like me, God speaks to us through books. So just extend grace. It's okay. So author Frederick Buechner, he defines vocation as the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. And so the key question is, where am I deeply glad? And the question for you is, where are you deeply glad? That's the first one. Second one. Most of us arrive at a sense of self and vocation only through a long journey through alien lands. In other words, figuring out who God made you to be takes time. So chill, relax. You don't have to figure it out today or tomorrow or even this year. He will lead you. Just chill and relax. You'll get there. Just keep following him. Keep living in that place of obedience and surrender. He'll get you there. It's all good. But then he says this. Uh, Parker Palmer says, We are led to the truth. Uh, we are led to truth of who we are, who God made us to be, by our weaknesses as well as our strengths, and acknowledge and embrace our own liabilities and limits. And so the relevant questions here, what, are, what limits have I bumped up against recently? What weaknesses about myself have I discovered? Or for you, what weaknesses have you discovered about yourself recently? What limits have you bumped up against in the last six months? I remember being in conversation with someone who used to uh, be on staff in our church, Anya, a great lady, good friend, and uh, I remember her saying to me once, she said, Adam, when you talk about theology, there's a sparkle in your eyes, you just come alive. And I found that comment really helpful because she was calling out something that was true of me that I hadn't always owned for myself. And she just called it as she saw it, and she was absolutely right. And those who know me well know that about me. And so as I reflected on, um, so this was uh, seven years into being senior pastor, when I reflected on who God made me to be, where was my source of deep gladness? Where was that sense of real joy, just an absolute pleasure and delight in terms of my work? It was in study. It was in sermon preparation. It was in preaching and teaching. They were the main areas of gladness. That's a clue to who God made me to be. Second part, limits and weaknesses. It didn't take me long in my role to discover that pastoral care drained me. It's not because people are not important. People are exceedingly important. And I know as a pastor, I'm perhaps not supposed to say this, 
But it's true. Pastoral care drained me. It's not what I'm wired to do. Am I wired to love people? Yes, we all are. Am I wired for that to be a significant part of my life? No, I am not. And I think to expect everyone to fit that mold is to perhaps be a wee bit unbiblical. Because Ephesians 4 talks about prophets, evangelists, pastors, apostles, teachers, different kinds of people. Not one mold, but many molds. And as well as that, so that wasn't my wiring, and so I delegated accordingly. Um, But as well as that, uh, something else drained me. And again, maybe you're not supposed to say this, but I think as a church we can be honest, so that's what I'm going to do. Leadership drained me. Leading the staff drained me. And let me be clear, the staff are amazing. It's not about them. (laughs) I'm just saying it drained me. But it's not because of a deficiency on them. They're awesome. They're incredible. We have amazing staff in this church. We seriously do. We're ridiculously blessed. Leadership decisions over difficult issues drained me. And the problem with that is difficult issues always come up. (laughs) There's always another one. There's always another one. It doesn't stop. It's the nature of leadership. And that's what leaders are called to do. Uh, leading around, you know, leadership around kind of, you know, 10-year plans for property and various other things. These different things drain me. And what I was realizing was I was bumping up against my limits. I was bumping up against my weaknesses. And you discover a lot about who you are from your weaknesses and your limits as well as your strengths. So this was a discernment process for me. When have you bumped up against your own limits and weaknesses? It's worth reflecting on. Parker Palmer continues, one sign that I'm violating my own nature in the name of nobility is a condition called burnout. Though usually regarded as the result of trying to give too much, burnout in my experience results from trying to give what I do not possess. I operate in pastoral care all of the time. I will burn out because I'm trying to give something God has not wired me for. Trying to give something I don't possess. Thankfully, God surrounded me by amazing people like Uncle Ten and Peter Sara, uh, Mike Griffiths in Auckland, uh, my supervisor, Nigel Dixon from Palmerston North, who all had experience of burnout, and they helped me so that when I had the early warning signs, I didn't burn out, but I did have the early warning signs, and they helped me recognize that. They helped me take evasive action, a preventative action, so I didn't burn out, and today I'm good to go and largely thanks to them and their wise advice and the elders blessing me and giving me space and the staff and so on and so on. So many people to thank. I don't have time to go through all the names. Uh, but the point is, is early warning signs were recognized and I was able to keep it at bay. And with that in mind, Parker Palmer says this, true self is true friend. One ignores or rejects such friendship at one's peril. I can say to myself, I ought to do this, I ought to do this, I ought to do this, and ignore who God had made me to be at my own peril. Or I can recognize and discern who has God made me to be and adjust accordingly. So about three years ago, I came to this insight that, that actually I think my primary gifting is that of a teacher. I have the gifting of leadership. I operated in it in a major way for 10 years, and a lot of that was really enjoyable, but a lot of it was pretty tough as well. But I I realized over a period of time that God has hardwired and gifted me as a teacher. Now, given that both my parents are career teachers, given that my brother is a lecturer, my uncle on one side is a teacher, my auntie on the other side is a teacher, I'm married to a teacher, my mother-in-law is a teacher, it's not a great surprise, is it? (laughs) Nonetheless, it took me a while to figure it out. At one conference uh, that Rachel mentioned earlier, uh, about seven years ago, we had a man called Dr. David Ireland, a Jamaican from New Jersey, and he prophesied over a few people, and he called me up on the stage, and he prophesied over me, and he said, your primary gifting is that of a teacher. 
in front of the whole of the Elam Conference. Took me about four years to realize he was right. (laughs) Got there in the end. That's okay. So the challenge was, I was then in this place where I recognized my primary gifting in terms of what God had wired me to be and do, but I also recognized God had called me to be a senior pastor. And so I lived with this disconnect, recognizing this is not that, that is not this, but we have to live from a place of surrender and obedience. And that's what I was trying to do before the Lord, because I knew God had called me to do this thing. And so I lived with this disconnect for a period of time. And that period of time came to an end late uh, last October, when I felt God released me from that disconnect because I felt he was uh, releasing me from leading our church. And so that started conversations with the elders, national leadership team, and so on, Uh, which is why I'm confident it was a God-led process. What was quite an eerie experience was sometime after that, actually experiencing God's anointing lifting for this role. Anointing is a supernatural enablement and empowerment from God to do a particular task. And I had been anointed by God for this particular task for a decade. And I actually felt that lift. It's quite an eerie experience, but actually a comforting one as well, that I was going in the right direction. So I'm sorry if this is hard to hear. It's not meant to be hard to hear. I'm just trying to be real with you. Uh, In some ways, you could summarize the whole thing as this. God called me out and God called Gabe in. (laughs) That's the summary and it's true. I'm giving you some background to that. Um, As to God calling Gabe in, that's his story to share, not mine. I just think it's true. Um, So, so yeah, sorry if it's hard to hear, but from my perspective, God is in the process of giving me the desires of my heart. And the desires of my heart is not to lead a church, even though it's an enormous privilege. And I was so grateful for the time God gave me. How do you discern the voice of God? There are five key steps that I think are really important, and I'm going to put them all on the screen for you to take a photo of if you want to. These come from Nicky Gumbel's The Alpha Course. He has a whole week on how does God guide. If you've never done The Alpha Course, it's awesome. I highly recommend it. It's all online. But here are the five. First one, commanding scripture always comes first. If the Bible says something's wrong, it's never right, full stop. Commanding scripture always comes first. Second, compelling spirit. Romans 8, 14, those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Third, counsel of the saints. Proverbs says the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. What is the difference between faith and stupid? One of the main differences is wise counsel. I've seen too many people in the name of faith make stupid decisions. And with a good heart, with a good intent, but with bad outcomes and bad fruit and a lot of hurt because of a lack of wise counsel. Let's listen to the word of God on that. Fourthly, common sense, and fifthly, circumstantial signs. So I went through these five for myself. Commanding scripture, for me, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Also, John 15, 7, abide in me and let my word abide in you, then ask anything you like and it will be given to you, and other such scriptures. Compelling spirit, I felt God lead me very clearly last October, uh, and I had a real peace about the decision that I had come to. Council of the Saints, processed it with those who I'd done life with over many years. Processed the decision with my wife, Kylie. Processed the decision with Tony, who will be down in a couple of weeks, whom we've done life together closely for seven years. Processed the decision closely with my previous senior pastor and good friend, Mike Griffiths. Uh, we've been close for the last more than a decade. Processed with him, processed with my supervisor, Nigel Dixon, who's been around the block a few times and has a lot more experience and wisdom than I do. 
processed it with the elders and others, processed it with my spiritual dad, Phil, in London. I think I was quite thorough with the process, and I think for big decisions, it's important to be thorough. And there was unanimity, there was complete agreement with those that I was processing with, with regards to Council of the Saints. Common sense, it lined up with everything that I knew about myself that God had shown me over a period of time. And circumstantial signs, it made sense of the fatigue <laughs> and some of the weaknesses that I had experienced in relation to my job. But it's not because I was doing the wrong thing. God called me into it, but God's called me out of it. So I commend those five to you. Sorry, I've gone through them quickly. It could be a whole message just on those five. Uh, but I always figure, why preach one sermon when you can preach two? So uh, I'm just going to keep going <laughs> and take notes as is helpful. Um, but this is really important. When seeking God's guidance... Do the hard work. What is it? Do the mahi, get the treats. Isn't that how it goes? It's a lot easier to live in the place of whatever you want, Lord. You say it, I'll do it. That is God relating to you as a child. God wants us to grow up to be adults. And when we become adults, we become involved in our own decision-making processes. We don't lose the place of surrender. That always remains. But as well as that, he's asking us to do the hard work of what is God saying through the scriptures? Study them, read them. What is God saying through, uh, in terms of your, your own spirit, your own internal spirit? Have you talked to others who, who know you and care for you well, who are not just yes people, but really will speak the truth no matter what? Do the hard work of these different things. And as you lean into that, rather than just waiting whatever you say, Lord, when you do the hard work, God will speak. So do the mahi, get the treats. Okay. So what am I doing now? Uh, Gabe wanted me to address this as well, so I'm going to do that. I'm doing two things. First one, teaching. Second one, study. So first one, teaching, preaching. Um, I have many heroes, many, many heroes. One of them is Bill Johnson. He doesn't get everything right. Guess what? Nobody does. Uh, but he gets a lot of things right. <laughs> and one of the things he said is, if you steward well what God gives you, he'll give you more. And I know that God had given me the gift of teaching. I know that. And so God made it clear through my... my I have to say, the last four months, I read my Bible with one or two exceptions every day. God has been speaking to me so clearly through the Bible pretty much every day. It's just extraordinary. It is still, I think, the primary way that God speaks and the most important. And through my Bible, God made it clear to me that I was to look for ways to say yes to any preaching or teaching invitation that came my way. Because that's who I, it's who I am. So it's not about the yes-no decisions. It's who I am. Because I know who I am. Therefore, I look for ways to say yes, irrespective of finance or anything like that. And so when, when Gabe asked me to be on team as a discipleship teacher, it was a complete no-brainer. I know what God has wired me to be. I have to look for ways to say yes to any invitations coming my way. He's given me an invitation. And so I said yes. Easy. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Christchurch Elim preaching at the end of the month. I'll be at Auckland Elim preaching next month. I'm going to Palmerston North to do a, a session in the Bible College up there on understanding Islam from a Christian perspective. And so I'm, I, I'm here, but I may be preaching elsewhere once in a while. That's me looking for ways to say yes to what God has called me to do. And next week, I'll be teaching Growth Track. And so if you've not done Growth Track, please sign up today. And I'd love to see you next week in the second service through there at Growth Track. So that's the first thing I'm doing now. The second thing I'm doing is study. I'm approximately halfway through a master's degree in Islamic studies through a Christian Bible college. I know for some people, that sounds nuts. I know that. Give me two or three minutes to explain, okay? I can do a longer explanation. This is the short version. Two reasons. Why? Why am I doing a master's in Islamic studies through a Christian Bible college? First reason. 
If you care about people who don't know Jesus, most people who don't know Jesus in the world are Muslims. Therefore, you love Muslims. Reason number one. Reason number two, uh, and I'll show you a picture of a colleague of mine. His name is Al-Fadi. He is a Saudi, a former Muslim, now follower of Jesus. Uh, because of folks like him, want, I want them to know Jesus. That's one reason why I'm studying it. The second reason is what is called defeater beliefs. Defeater beliefs. Here, on the next slide, please. A defeater belief is a belief, if you hold this belief, you will not believe the gospel. If you hold a defeater belief, you will not believe the gospel. Someone I know um, doesn't believe that miracles can happen. Because of the defeater belief, next slide please, because of the defeater belief that miracles cannot happen, they can't believe in Jesus. Because he was, his birth was a miracle, his life was miracle after miracle after miracle, and of course the resurrection is a miracle. That is one example of a defeater belief. A second example of a defeater belief is God causes all evil. I know someone else who believes that God causes all evil. Because he believes that, he will never come to believe and trust in Jesus, but trust in God because he thinks God is bad. Well, if you believe God causes all evil, that is a logical conclusion. But God doesn't cause all evil. In terms of people you know, colleagues, friends, family, what defeated beliefs might they have? If you can address those defeated beliefs, then you can clear the ground to share the gospel and they might actually come to faith and that's what we long for and that's what God longs for too. So um, if you want to do a bit more research on that, just Google Tim Keller defeated beliefs. There's a brilliant short article by him. He goes into it in more depth. There's lots of defeated beliefs. What I have found is that uh, every culture, every ideology has defeated beliefs. My own experience is that people who grow up under the ideology of Islam have more defeated beliefs than any other ideology that I've ever come across. So why am I studying it? Because I want to address the defeated beliefs to remove the stumbling blocks in order to facilitate people coming to know Jesus. That's why I'm doing it. So to give you a brief uh, illustration, last month, uh, last semester, uh, next one please, I did a book review of this book called The Gentle Answer. One, uh, one, many, one of the many defeated beliefs that Muslims have is that the Bible is corrupted. If you believe the Bible is corrupted, you won't trust its account of Jesus, therefore you won't follow him. And virtually every Muslim I've come across believes the Bible is corrupted. The only problem is it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. And this book, uh, Dr. Gordon Nickel did his PhD on, uh, he reads Arabic, amazing Christian scholar, was based in India for many years. He's a Canadian, uh, and he wrote this amazing book, and you can look it up for yourself, stuff on the website. And, and so I've done the hard work of showing that this is not true. And so I then want to put my work out there uh, to, along with other people to help remove defeated beliefs. Hope I made some sense. Okay, cool. So that's what I'm up to now. Back to Joshua. Joshua chapter 3 verse 5 and following. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. They're about to cross into the promised land. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on Avar ahead of them, ahead of the people. So they took it up and went on ahead of them. Uh, a few verses later, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, Avar again. 
The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, the River Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap in a great distance away at a town called Adam, great name for a town, in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over Avar, opposite Jericho. The priests who st- carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dr- dry ground when all Israel passed by Avar until the whole nation had completed the crossing, Avar, on dry ground. The word Avar in Hebrew, the Hebrew word, occurs 21 times in two chapters here in the book of Joshua. Kind of a big deal, I think. Um, Avar means, and we've got this on the screen, crossing a significant boundary to enter into a different kind of life. And it's a very special word that's only used for very special circumstances. The Bible scholar E. John Hamlin put it this way, crossing over the Jordan meant entering a new kind of life in the promised land. The crossing marked a decisive transition, which involved inheriting or acquiring tenancy rights and finding rest. And so Joshua and the whole people of Israel were facing an avar moment, Once they crossed, life would not be the same. And that's scary. It's like, what's going to be on the other side? You don't know. They didn't know. God was leading them somewhere they had not been before. Are you or someone you love facing an avar moment at the moment in your life? See, we all have avar moments in our lives. Birth is one. Death is another. So life is bracketed by avar moments. Uh, But in between, there are many other of our moments as well, where once you cross over, life will be different to how it was before. As a church, we've just had one. Senior leadership change kind of twice in some ways. And now finally, you know, our new senior leader is in charge and in a few weeks will be here in person to stay, which is very exciting indeed. Personally, God was leading me to step down Uh, from one thing, but he wasn't clear about what I was to go into next. Now, from a career point of view, that's nuts. From a financial planning point of view, not smart, I know. But Kylie and I knew it was God, and those we processed with knew it was God. And uh, again, the difference between faith and stupid is wise counsel. Sorry to tread on toes, but I'm trying to be helpful. With avar moments, you must do your due diligence. And so anyway, so sometime next year, I'll finish my master's. I don't know when, but sometime next year. And at some point, God will make it clear what I'm to step into. But as yet, I don't know. But I do know what it will involve. It will involve theology, teaching, church, preaching, something like that. Uh, But at the moment, my avar moment has turned into an avar season. Yay. (laughs) And that's scary. Avar moments are by their nature scary. But Joshua and the people of Israel standing right by the River Jordan in flood. And God saying, no, you can cross. Scary. (laughs) It's not business as usual moments. They're terrifying moments. Maybe you're standing at the threshold of an aval moment yourself. They challenge whether you will be self-reliant or rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit and his word. And so if you or a loved one are facing an aval moment right now, can I just commend these three things to you? First, who are you? Do you know your vocation? Do you know who God made you to be? It's a process. It takes time. 
You won't figure it out like that, usually. Second, work through the five ways that God guides. Own the process. Don't just wait for a command from heaven. You know, I think God wants us to graduate from being slaves to being friends. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about that, that kind of he's the master, and so we do what he says. Always true. But Jesus said, no longer have I called you that. I now call you friends. Different kind of relationship. God wants us to grow in Christ. And thirdly, know that God is faithful. Know that God is faithful. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan. We've got it on the screen. Stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. It's the next slide, please. God was faithful in the Avar moment. God was faithful for them. He'll be faithful for me. He'll be faithful for you. Can I pray for you? Is that okay? All right. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing an Avar moment or someone close to them is facing an Avar moment. Lord, would you help them to know your faithfulness? Would you help them to dig into the scriptures so that they can hear your voice for themselves? Lord, where that isn't working well, Lord, would you help them to reach out and get help so that they learn how to read the scriptures well and learn how to hear your voice through the scriptures? Lord, would you help them to reach out for wise counsel? Lord, I thank you that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You do lead us individually. Hearing God's voice is not just for some, it is for all who are followers of Jesus. So Lord, right now I impart your peace and your courage to those who are facing these situations. And we thank you so much, Father God, that you are faithful, you will be faithful because you cannot deny yourself. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.